Hey there, Getting in the Loop listeners. Ever wondered what can be done in your industry to help create a more circular economy? I've put together a short ebook to help you navigate key circular trends in textiles and apparel, ICT and electronics, and packaging. And it includes links to related reports as well as relevant Getting in the Loop podcast episodes. It's yours to receive when you join up to our podcast newsletter at circularsectors.gettinginthelooppodcast.com. So head over to our website to get your copy of the Circular Sectors Navigator. That's again, circularsectors.gettinginthelooppodcast.com. Hi, I'm Katie Wellen, and join me each week as I talk with experts around the globe about circular economy. You'll find out what's being done to make it a reality, and if it can really solve the problems it promises. It's time for Getting in the Loop. Welcome to the Getting in the Loop podcast. I'm your host, Katie. In this season on Getting in the Loop, we've talked to companies and researchers working with circular business models specialized in repair and refurbishment. Now it's time to hear from another key player in the circular business ecosystem. That's right, we're talking about investing in circular businesses. I'm joined today by Jamie Butterworth, founding partner of Circularity Capital. Circularity Capital is a specialist private equity firm founded to provide clients access to investment opportunities created by the circular economy. You might be familiar with Jamie Butterworth as he was also the first CEO of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation before he went on to found Circularity Capital. In today's episode, you'll learn if investing in circular economy solutions is really that different than how we currently invest. You'll hear how Circularity Capital selects companies for its portfolio, and you'll also hear how different circular business models face different investment challenges. Jamie also shares a bit about what it was like to be the first CEO of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and what has surprised him the most about the growing interest in circular economy over the past 10 years. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. I'm very excited to finally have you on the Getting in the Loop podcast. Thank you, Katie. And where are you calling from today? I'm in Edinburgh at the moment in Scotland. Okay, so a little bit of a hop, skip and a jump away from where I am in Stockholm, Sweden. But yep. uh, yeah. Are you originally from Edinburgh? I'm actually a Yorkshireman, um, but uh, living in Edinburgh now in Scotland. And you are uh, one of the co-founders. I, I believe that's correct, right? You're co-founder and partner, uh, or founding partner of Circularity Capital. Uh, just Start us off with a little bit of an introduction about Circularity Capital. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're a specialist investor specifically focusing on investing in businesses operating in the circular economy. Um, and the background to this is that uh, I, through my prior experience at the Alan MacArthur Foundation, got exposed to the concept of the circular economy and indeed all the businesses who are starting to operate in this space and looking to move towards more circular business models. And it was really clear that there's a lot of growth stage companies in this space capturing a lot of value. 
who didn't have a specialist investor specifically focusing on helping them grow and providing capital. So we set up Circularity to combine two things, really. One was the traditional sort of private equity skill set, how you help growth companies to grow, but also specific expertise, knowledge and know-how in the circular economy to help that subset of circular businesses to really uh, achieve their full potential. Mm -hmm. We're going to dive into circularity capital and all the kind of things related to investing about circular economy. Uh, and you did mention that you were with Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So I want to hear a little bit about your experience, but you've had a lot of experience in circular economy for the last 10 or so years. So I'm curious if there's a common question or misconception that you get asked all the time about circular economy. Yeah, it's a good question. I think one thing uh, I spent a lot of time talking to investors and explaining how businesses that have a positive environmental impact um, can, in fact, make more money than businesses that don't. So I think there's often a preconception in the world of investment that companies that are operating uh, business models, which are in some way beneficial from an environmental perspective, um, have to trade off their financial returns against that impact. And that uh, is something that we really disagree with at Circularity Capital. And we're specifically targeting and finding companies and investing in businesses where the fact that they have a circular business model is what is giving them a sustainable competitive advantage. It's what's helping them to grow faster, develop higher margins, have stickier customer relationships, et cetera. Um, so that's something which I think is a misconception um, which uh, we are commonly asked. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite way that you explain it or like an example that you explain to these people? Uh, like, yeah, actually, this is not really going to be a trade-off for you and actually it could be better. Yeah, I mean, I think the best examples there are specific sort of company examples, giving details as to how these companies are actually growing. Um, but from a high level perspective, I think when talking about the circular economy, one of the most powerful ways to do that is to initially talk about why it's beneficial from a financial perspective, um, from a supply chain perspective, from a you know repeat customer relationship perspective, to the point that the other party then says, doesn't it have some kind of environmental impact as well? And that way is often the easiest way to, to, to be able to address that. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious uh, because you were with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation for quite a while. How many years was it? Uh, about six years. Six years. So, and you were there from basically from the start, you were the first CEO. So were you surprised by circular economy's initial reception kind of when this whole thing happened back in 20, the first report I think was in 2011 or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was kind of your reaction to the response then? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was really lucky to be able to work with Alan MacArthur during that period of time. And I, I don't think I will ever be surprised by what she manages to accomplish um, in her lifetime. But I think um, there were a couple of really interesting things that happened then. One was at that time, there was a, a lot of um, sort of research and books written, et cetera, about the concept of the circular economy, this idea of re regenerative economy with biological and technical loops, et cetera. Um, however, there was very little evidence about the economics and whether indeed the circular economy 
you know, would it make less money the same? Would it make any more money? How did it work? And we had this um, theory that if we could tease that out, then it would change the narrative. And we ended up working together with McKinsey and taking the report to the World Economic Forum in 2011. And I think part of that was timing as well, because at the time, resource prices had reached an all-time high after a kind of century of declines in a decade, they'd gone right up. And businesses were really struggling with how to answer the sustainability agenda, because at the time it was all about using less, doing less, selling less. Um, and so to be then hit with an idea which was all about redesigning. So ultimately this is about how you redesign products, business models by which you deploy them, et cetera, was very powerful. So I think I was pleasantly surprised by the take up at that forum and kind of what happened after that. I think the other thing I was quite, I remember having this conversation with Alan actually at one point, which was we were talking to loads of different companies and the kind of management teams or CEOs of lots of really big corporates. And I remember one day us having a conversation and saying, it's amazing how little pushback you get with this concept. And the more we thought about that, the more we thought that actually that's because it really is robust, right? It really stands up under scrutiny. The more you think about it, the more you think today's linear economy just doesn't stack up and a circular economy really does make sense. Yeah, it appealed maybe to people's just like kind of logic, like, yeah, why, why do we do it this way? Exactly. And are you surprised where it's kind of how it's evolved since then? Are you surprised to where it is today? Um, I think I'm surprised by the level of awareness of the concept now, I would say generally. I think it's really positive. Um, I think the potential risk with that comes that the concept gets somewhat diluted in terms of a really strong understanding of what it is. Uh, for example, yesterday, I saw an article in the leader column of the Times newspaper, uh, and within there, they were referring to the concept of the circular economy as something that traded off growth against sustainability. So I wrote a response to that saying that actually, this is about decoupling growth from virgin resource inputs. Um, but I think that um, generally speaking, I'm surprised by the general awareness of it. The bit that I would say I'm also surprised by from a negative perspective in a way is how long it's taken for the really strong link to be made between the way we use stuff and products and climate change. And it seems that only in the last kind of 12 months is it really being adopted or talked about as a way of also starting to address, you know, the really big challenge around greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's been... It's, it's funny you say that because I've also kind of noticed a bit of a trend there in terms of very only recently has, for example, Ellen MacArthur Foundation come up with a report uh, linking it sort of with, with climate change and things like that. So, yeah. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about your, your past and Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So now I want to dive in a little bit into what you're doing today at Circularity Capital. And I think some of the listeners might be thinking, okay, they, they have a feeling that there's a little bit something different with circular economy and investing in circular economy, but like how sort of different is investing in circular solutions than how we currently do investments? Yeah, sure. I mean, one 
thing to, I guess, start with is that the world of investment is huge, right? So there are lots of different kinds of investments that you can make. And what we're doing at Circularity Capital is we're investing in private companies. So this isn't kind of listed companies on the stock exchange. These are private companies. And we're investing in businesses that are at a rel relatively early stage in their growth trajectory, but at a kind of growth stage. So the technology of what they're selling is proven. They've proven the ability to sell it on a replicable basis, but they're looking to really scale up and internationalize. And our view of that is it is really important actually to for those companies to have access to specialist investors um, because we need to be able to find those companies. We need to have the right network to be able to find them. We also need to be able to really understand what it is that we're looking for. So not all opportunities in the circular economy are investable or are attractive investments by a long reach. So we need to be able to identify that kind of subset of opportunities that we think will scale mm -hmm. and then actually, um, you know, get chosen by those companies as their preferred investor. They'd rather have a specialist on board who can really help them to grow and ultimately um, support them, you know, by connecting them to the right people in the network, providing the right skills, et cetera, that they need to be able to grow. So that that's really important. I think the other thing which is really obvious, but it's worth stating is that their most investors, you know, the vast majority are looking to target a really attractive financial return. Um, as they don't want to trade off impact versus financial returns. If you talk to a pension fund or a sovereign wealth fund, um, and if any of you kind of listening have a pension fund, you want to get a return on that, right? So we also need to be taking into account the, the risk factors involved in these companies and adequately factoring those into the decision-making process. And clearly, if you look at lots of the same kind of companies with the same kind of business models, you can start to get a really good picture as to what you like and you don't like and what you think is working. And I think that's the important aspect of it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned like return and I wonder, is there, um, oftentimes you, this is a bit now, but be, I'm putting it in a very like simplistic sort of way. So I might be under, uh, like, I might be oversimplifying it, but you, a lot of times you hear like with circular business models, they often have like a, a longer return on investment. Uh, for example, like if you're doing product models where you are um, renting something versus just selling it. So there's a, a longer sort of return. Um, do you have like expect do you have any sort of different types of expectations for your companies versus like a normal kind of company considering that maybe there's a longer term, uh, like a longer payback period? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are a relatively long-term investor to be able to take that into account. And obviously, there are also some specific attributes of those kind of companies. Like, for example, you mentioned product as a service or rental companies. That often requires the business to be able to finance the assets on the balance sheet. So we have particular capabilities in how we can uh, work with other people to provide that debt, what that structure looks like, etc. So yes, that is a, a, a key component of that as well. I think the other two sort of a couple of things around um, the kind of world of investment that are really interesting at the moment as well is one is impact investing generally. So more and more investors are starting to ask questions about what their capital is doing. I think there's a great example of PGGM, the Dutch Healthcare Workers Fund, when they surveyed their members and said, um, 
what do you uh, think about your investments? What are you looking for? And they said, look, we want a nice financial return, but not at the expense of society or the environment. And in fact, we'd like you to try to do some good with the capital as well as making us money. And so that's a really good example, I think, of more and more people asking for that. And that certainly is really interesting timing for the circular economy because it provides quite a powerful framework for that. On the flip side, you've got loads of sort of discussion chat at the moment about ESG, environmental social governance. Um, but there's also there's some kind of hidden, uh, I guess, traps there. I mean, you may have seen there was a quite a well-known UK um, fund management business looking at sort of top ESG picks recently. One of them was a tobacco company, one was a fizzy drinks company, one was a mining company. And those companies have good policies around environment, social governance. That doesn't necessarily mean they're doing anything to accelerate sustainability or the circular economy. So there's quite a lot going on more broadly in the investment space at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how does sort of, you have a number of companies in Circularity Capital's kind of investment portfolio. Uh, is that kind of the correct way of saying that? That's the correct, yeah, yeah. So you tend to call it a portfolio or the companies that you've invested in, yeah. Yeah. So could you maybe just like walk us through the 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 process? How does how do you decide which companies you want to support? You you mentioned earlier a little bit in terms of these these are companies that are already in kind of the growth stage, so they are they have had tested and kind of proven business models, and now they're looking to scale up. Um, but do you have specific criteria that you use that are different than kind of more like linear uh, ways? Yeah, so we, t we have a very sort of uh, firm view on what we're looking for. So if, for example, you're we looking at a product as a service company, we would have looked at lots of other products as a service companies, and we'd work out the sort of attractive attributes that we like and what we don't like, which helps us to narrow down the types of companies that we'd like to invest in. Mm -hmm. um, we also do specific um, like searches in different sectors. So if we think that there's quite a few companies coming up from one particular area, we'll then do a real uh, sort of study of that sector and dive deep into what's happening and look at what the target list would look like. And again, try and work out what the dynamics are, what we like, what we don't like. Um, so we have quite a structured process. Um, where we go right from looking at what the impact of the company is likely to be, what the potential unintended consequences would be, uh, how we would measure that impact, and then right the way through into a more traditional sort of private equity process where we're looking at teasing out the fundamentals of the business, how we could add more value, et cetera. You mentioned unintended consequences. Could you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it is not universally the case, of course, that a circular business model is going to result in a positive environmental impact. So, for example, it's unlikely that a company remanufacturing oil rig drilling equipment ultimately is going to end up with a net positive impact um, if you think about what the use of that product is for. So when looking at impact, I think it's really important to look at the context and also look at, as I say, whether if a circular business model applied in the long run, whether there might be a consequence which is contrary to what one thinks is, is going to happen. So in terms of funding opportunities for sort of like or investing 
getting companies off the ground, that's clearly not what you are doing. But do you know, like, if you would give advice to anyone who's looking to sort of start a company and having sort of circular, are, where would they sort of be getting that that type of like investment from? Is that from like e EU grants or other kinds of research money? Um, yeah. Yeah. So typically by the time that we invest in a company, the company will have gone through an initial kind of seed funding round, which typically is conducted through, for example, high net worth investors, family office investors, could be grants as well. Um, then within the kind of funding ecosystem, there's obviously the venture capital level, uh, which is kind of earlier stage in the investment round process. Um, and then when companies are looking to raise kind of larger sums of capital, and in particular looking to really expand and internationalize, that's the point at which uh, we invest from our fund. Um, the other important part here is we're often sort of acting as a bit of a spider in the web to connect these companies to those types of people. So it's very much in our interest to support these companies to get to a point where they're investable from uh, our fund. So we spend a lot of time as well connecting these companies up to different pots of capital uh, around the ecosystem to try and bring them through to that point. I don't know if you mentioned this already or not, but you're, what you've been talking about has gotten me thinking about like after you have their companies uh, in sort of their investment portfolio, uh, like how do you measure sort of and assess kind of their, uh, yeah, what what they've been doing? Do you have do you do you have specific circularity capital kind of key performance indicators about circular economy, or do you use existing kind of circular economy metrics, uh, or kind of a combination of both of them? I'd be curious. Yeah, uh, good question. So most of the metrics that are universally uh, or kind of out there typically are focused on really big corporate manufacturing businesses. Uh, so what we have done is to develop an approach to measuring the impact of the individual companies, which tend to be quite different because we're looking for diversification in our portfolio. We don't actually want to invest in exactly the same kind of companies. We want diversification in terms of industry sector business model and also geography. And that's important to ensure the right risk profile across the portfolio of investments. So um, the way that we look at that is we develop a point of view in terms of how the business is uh, generating its impact. What business model is it using? As I say, are there any unintended consequences? Then we look at what methodology we would use to measure that impact. Um, we ensure that we use kind of external assurance to check that we've got that right. Um, and then we will report on that on a portfolio company basis and also at a fund level. Um, and as an example of that, we've invested in a business called Winnow Solutions, which reduces food waste. So it halves food waste and commercial catering facilities using an AI camera solution to design out food waste effectively. And that company measures tons of food waste um, so what we do there is we also look at the CO2 equivalent of the food waste. Um, and then to some extent, you can aggregate some metrics at a fund level. Okay, so it's kind of adopting different metrics and picking and choosing based on the, the situation. Exactly, yeah. So you will have some common metrics, but some are likely, in order to be able to actually know what the companies are doing, given their operations or activities are quite different, you also often want some at a company level as well. Mm-hmm. 
So you just gave one example of uh, one of the companies in your portfolio, uh, Winnow. Um, yeah, sh could you share some other ones just yeah. to give examples? Absolutely, we'd love to. So um, let me give you two, couple more examples. Let me give you a product as a service or circular business model one. And I'll also give you a product from waste company one. So start off with the product as a service company. So we've invested in a business called Grover, which is based in Berlin. And Grover have a flexible rental model for consumer electronics. So rather than buying a laptop or a drone or a scooter or a camera, you just rent the product from Grover for as long as you need it for. Once you finish, it goes back to Grover, it gets refurbished and it goes out to another customer. And what Grover are demonstrating is the ability to not only extend the asset life by constantly refurbishing and keeping the asset operating for a longer period of time, but also they're improving asset utilization often. So enabling uh, us to be able to satisfy a given number of customers using less product. Um, so that's one of the business models, obviously, that's quite exciting about the circular economy, where you move away from recycling and even into refurbishment. And ultimately, you move towards where the company owns the asset. It's in their interest to really maximize the value of that asset. And Grover has been growing incredibly strongly. Um, they've expanded out of Germany into Austria, the Netherlands, and now Spain. Um, and they've launched some really exciting partnerships with companies like Samsung and also Microsoft providing laptops to students during the pandemic. Um, but that's a, a great example of a circular business that's growing very strongly. Um, and then from a, a, a kind of product from waste perspective, so we've invested in a business called Shark Solutions, which is based in, De or they're headquartered in Denmark and they have manufacturing facilities in Europe and in the US. And this is a business which um, is extracting polyvinyl butyrol, which is PVB, from inside uh, car windscreen. So in every car windscreen, there's two layers of glass. There's a layer of a plastic that stops it from shattering if you hit something. And also it provides a lot of sound absorption. And what Shark are able to do is to extract that uh, PVB layer and then sell that into industry for a whole range of applications to displace a lot of very unsustainable materials. And PVBs are really uh, high-tech, um, high-performance, high-margin, um, you know, zero-toxicity product, which is very circular in nature. Um, so that business is really exciting sort of product from waste company in this space. Mm -hmm. Thanks for, for the, those examples. No worries. I was reading an article uh, the other day from the Harvard Business Review, and they they it was about circular economy and circular businesses, and they had three sort of main circular business models that they that they presented in this article. Uh, so they had the product life extension, so companies that kind of do take back, repair, or remanufacture. Uh, they had extend resource value, so those are companies that are like using things from from waste and recovering materials. And then they had one that we've been talking a lot ab about, which is kind of like retain product ownership. So leasing subscription models. And of course, these are kind of not, um, sometimes they are, you know, you can combine them together yeah. as well. I so was just going to say they, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was curious, I think they probably all have different, uh, like all co consequences kind of like different, different ways to approach investment. Like some might have certain 
challenges than others. And I was curious if you think there's one type that is easier to 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 invest in. Uh, I, I, this is probably a difficult question. But yeah, uh, no, I, it's a good question. I think that the um, the the answer I would give is that I think that they're all obviously slightly different business models, as you say. In some instances, you'd have a crossover. So going back to Grover, they obviously retain product ownership, but they also extend resource value and do product life extension to some extent. So there's a crossover. I think um, they're very context specific. So we would invest across those areas and each one would would come with its own kind of challenges and its own opportunities as an investor. Um, but they require a slightly different skill set. So obviously, if you're if you're leasing an asset or renting an asset, the sort of financing you're going to use, the KPIs you're going to use are going to be slightly different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is there? Do you think that they missed one of like a, a type of business model? Uh... Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure whether these are business models or whether they're actually the way that value is being created. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or at least it's kind of like it's how it's contributing sort of to circular economy. I think there's many different ways that you could contribute to product life extension, for example, in. Yeah, so I would I would agree it doesn't have uh, doesn't have all sort of the three parts of a, a business model if you're going to say how values created, captured or delivered. Right. So, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but is there do you think there's something that's kind of that missing missing from these? these three? I mean, one, I guess one really interesting thing as well is there are a lot of businesses that are simply stopping waste from existing in the first place. Mm. And that's a really interesting area. Um, so just one more example of a business that we've backed um, that is kind of helps to illustrate that. So um, we invested in a business called Zigzag Global, which optimizes retail returns. Um, so you're, I'm sure you'll be aware that there's been a massive increase in the amount of returns, in particular, if you think of something like fast fashion. So people buying six shirts to return five of them because they don't like the size or the color. And um, this is a massive headache for retailers, both from a cost perspective and uh, a kind of logistics perspective, reintegrating all those returns back into the warehousing system and restocking them, et cetera. But from a sustainability perspective, a massive issue because you've got a huge amount of wastage and you'll have seen in the news, a lot of brands sending that product directly to landfill, even unopened, because it's just too expensive to get it back into the system. So ZigZag developed a uh, software solution, which allows those retailers to optimally uh, reintegrate the return back into their warehousing and logistics system, and basically to also stop it from being shipped as far. So for example, if you were, uh, ordered a product um, in Australia from the UK rather than it being shipped back to the UK. It could work out whether someone in Australia locally would reorder it, et cetera. Um, so that company, I think, is really interesting because they are basically stopping waste from existing in the first place through software. We're, we see quite a lot of that as well. So I think that would be one other area I would mention. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to get in touch with <laughs> we'll have to get in touch with the the writers of the 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 article. So what's next uh, for Circularity Capital? Yeah, so I mean, we've got quite a lot going on at the moment. Uh, one obviously is continuing to deploy capital and invest in exciting businesses in this space. And um, we're in the process right now of working on a number of new investments. So um, that's kind of core activity. 
the other thing that we're doing at the moment is we're building the team out as we grow um, at the moment. And that's really exciting. I mean, the kind of, as I think everyone would expect having the right team is really key here. What we're basically trying to do is combine that investment skill set with the circular economy skill set. So we also need to make sure that within our team at Circularity Capital, we've got really good people covering both of those areas. And then we're cross-pollinating the investment expertise into the circular economy and the circular economy expertise, vice versa. Um, I think we're also aware that the circular economy isn't standing still. It's continuing to evolve and grow. And uh, we really need to uh, stay ahead of that. We need to make sure we're investing in really understanding how that's taking place and investing in kind of building the pipeline to find these companies and ultimately how we can support them. So that that's what's keeping us busy at the moment. Yeah. Well, I hope that it continues to to take off uh, and keeps you busy. Of course, you know, there is there's, of course, need for 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 rest as well. But uh, it's it's good that there's a lot of action in, in this area. Um, before we go, Jamie, I want to ask you the question that I end all of the getting in the loop podcasts with, which is about the in the loop game that I created during my master's at TU Delft uh, back in hmm, 2012, I guess, so a couple of years ago. Uh, and in the game, you're a product producing company and you travel around the board to collect materials to make your product. Uh, but soon the players discover that it's not so easy and that there might be some reasons why they might want to have some circular strategies to rethink how they're using their materials. And one of the reasons is that there's a lot of events that happen in the game and these change the market conditions so they can help you in your quest for you know success in your company but they can also hinder you uh, so my question for you jamie is if you could create an event for the in the loop game what event would you create yeah it's a good question i've been thinking about this a lot actually since um you posed the question to me originally to have a think about and i think i would like to play around with internalizing some of the environmental externalities in the economy and what I mean by that, so we've talked kind of nuts and bolts so far, but obviously we at Circularity Capital and all other investors really are operating within today's system and system conditions. And that system isn't perfect, right? So for example, we do not price in the price of clean water. So if I'm a company and in the process of dyeing a pair of jeans, I pollute an ecosystem downstream of that, I don't pay the cost of that pollution, but that has an impact. It has a cost on the ecosystem services, et cetera. So right now in today's economy, we're not pricing in carbon. We're not pricing in the price, you know, price of clean water, et cetera, pollution. Um, so I would be really interested in playing around with that. And for example, if you think about the price of carbon, which I think is the highest today that it's been at any point previously, I think I read this morning, um, what happens if you change that in the model, for example? I think that would be really interesting because I think what you will see is that there is or, there are already a large number of circular business models that work well today and stack up financially. If you internalize more financial externalities, uh, sorry, non-financial externalities, you're just going to grow that pool of circular business models and investable opportunities that exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point, especially 
um, I was having a podcast interview before this uh, where I was discussing uh, reuse of, we were talking about electronics versus textiles. And they were saying that it's really difficult, like a lot of companies struggle with reuse of textiles, for example, because they're relatively like a, a low sort of value material compared to, or low value product compared to an electronics that are, have more higher sort of value. Uh, and so I think you might see, yeah, if you were to kind of include these externalities in the, it might actually make it better, make it easier to reuse textiles uh, since, for example, cotton uh, is really um, um, high greenhouse gas emission uh, fabric, for example. So it, I think that is exactly right. So effectively, you've got to, I mean, another really good example would be post-consumer waste and for example, plastic waste, litter, et cetera. Um, you know, my kind of extreme example of this would be recycling a crisp packet is going to be harder work than recycling the engine of a Caterpillar truck, right? Um, so ultimately, that those externalities that are not included are going to make it easier to recycle the smaller, more difficult things to do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jamie. And where can listeners go to learn more about you and the topics that we discussed? Yeah, sure. So um, in terms of Circularity Capital, so circularitycapital.com, uh, I would urge people, if they're interested, have a look at particular on the portfolio page. There's a little video about each investment and why we made them and what their business model is. And then obviously, from a circular economy perspective, more broadly, I would urge people to have a look at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's website, where there's a whole range of information about design guides, um, also a lot of reports looking at different sectors and levers to help to accelerate the circular economy. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We have a number of circular economy resources on our website. These include free downloads and new games to support you on your circular economy journey, especially if you like to engage others in the circular economy. Just head over to gettinginthelooppodcast.com and click resources.